welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Good morning, friends. How are you doing? Good. Uh, let's see here. Deep breath. Happy Father's Day uh, to dads. Uh, in the room, kids, if you're in here, you should be kind to your dad today. Um, and then for some of us in here, dad is a little more complicated. Dad was maybe somebody that wasn't around. Um, and so for those of us who uh, are there, it's okay to be there. It's okay to be in that space um, and to feel that this is a hard day. And then there, uh, there's maybe even one other category here. Uh, there are those of us that have some fantastic feelings and experiences around fatherhood and some bad ones at the same time. And so we walk into this place uh, this morning uh, feeling complicated. That's how I feel. I feel, uh, I feel complicated. I feel blessed. And I have some questions um, from, from all of it. And then we have, um, in our collective psyches this morning, um, the Flano Castile um, verdict on Friday, which uh, for some of us is heartbreaking and frightening. And all of these things um, are supposed to be here this morning. They're all welcome before our God, who is our Father, but is more than a Father. So however you come into this space this morning, welcome. Uh, we are, we're glad you're here, and, uh, and we hope, um, we pray, we long for God's Spirit to do, uh, to do work in all of us. Uh, my name is Dan. I am, uh, I almost said it first service, I am no longer the church planter in residence here because, woo, next Sunday will be our first uh, preview service at the Ashland Theater at the Maplewood Community Center. So that has been pretty exciting. Yeah. We made it. We didn't blow anything up, uh, which is good. Was always worried a little bit about that. Um, there's a story in the Gospel of John where uh, religious leaders bring a woman who was caught in adultery uh, before Jesus. And they basically put Jesus in a... Uh, it, they're trying to catch him. They're trying to uh, get him off his game. They're trying to, you know, mess with his, uh, his flow. And they say, uh, Rabbi, Scripture says that uh, this woman should be put to death. She should be stoned because she was caught in the act of adultery. And so they put Jesus in this very particular spot where they think he is going to be in conflict with the text, with the scripture, with the law, with the very thing that defines who they are as people. And so, uh, which by the way, how do you just catch the woman in the act of adultery? Where's the guy? <laughs> right? Like, you can smell something's afoot because, uh, because you know, something is, something's off here. And so Jesus bends down and he writes in the dust. We have no idea what he's writing. Maybe he's writing uh, Leviticus 22 and Deuteronomy 20 where, 
where, this is, where those rules are taken from. Maybe he's writing the names of all of uh, their mistresses. Uh, maybe he's just doodling because he's bored. We don't know what he does, but he bends down and he writes, and whatever he writes in, in, in the dust causes all of her accusers to go away. And then Jesus stands up and he says, woman, where are those who accuse you? She says, they're gone. And he says, neither do I accuse you. Go and sin no more. Beautiful story of Jesus' mercy. But if you tilt your head a little bit to the left and you turn a little, you realize that Jesus just did something that is troubling. He said he came to fulfill the law, not to abolish it, to keep it. He said not uh, one dot of it will, will pass away, will fade away, that it will be forever. And yet Jesus does not do what a plain, straightforward reading of both Deuteronomy and Leviticus tell him should be done. What do you do with that? We're going to spend uh, the rest of, uh, of this summer uh, in a series called Lost in Translation. We're going to explore how do we read, how do we engage with Scripture well, particularly the weird parts, um, the parts that you're like, what is that all about? My, my favorite one, uh, this is the second year uh, that we've done this, and my favorite one from last year was the story of the prophet who sent the she-bear after the uh, adolescent, you know, the, the troublemakers, the 11, 12, 13-year-old boys, who, by the way, I hung out with a group of them yesterday and I played kickball. They are unbelievably full of energy and competition, and they are all little lawyers. Um, <laughs> we went through three team uh, changes of our team. First, we were the black holes, and then we were the turtles, and then we were the hawks. I don't whatever. So, right, so there's a, sends a bear to kill some kids. Like, what do you do with that? What do we do with it? And, and here's why this is super important. How we read scripture how we come to it, the questions we ask from it, is, it's just as important as that we do it. Because it doesn't take uh, much thinking for us to figure out all of the bad things that find their home in people reading scripture poorly. So we want to spend the summer looking at some hard stuff and, uh, and asking some hard questions and saying, God, where are you uh, in this story? But what I want to do today is I want to start off with um, and just cast a little bit of a picture of how uh, we could read Scripture well. Um, I'm also dodging a bullet here because um, the texts that Micah told me I could pick from were frightening, uh, and I'm glad I didn't, um, didn't pick them. And so I, I want to invite you to stand up, and we're going to begin uh, by reading from 2 Timothy together. But as for you... Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Let's pray. 
Abba, we come, we come together this morning as your people with you and before you and with each other, and there's a lot of stuff that's in this room. There's a lot of stuff that's in my heart. We need you to, to show us your way. How do we move forward? How do we follow you? What does it look like actually, really, practically in my life look like to follow you, to love you? How do we move from being people who think about following you to people who do? Come speak to our hearts. Give our faith legs, hands this morning. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see. We love you. Amen. Amen. You can grab a seat. Scripture is God breathed. God breathed. You say the words and you go, could you pick a squishier image, Paul? Could you say something that I can picture, but maybe I don't know what it means? It's a perfect descriptor because... Whether you're a student of the scriptures or not, you can immediately understand some of Paul's expectations for scripture. It's breath. It's the thing that keeps you alive. It's the thing that when you stop, you stop. It's involuntary. Have you ever noticed that? If you want to stop breathing unless you have a condition, you have to think about not breathing. Try it. You hold your breath. The idea of, of breath and God breathed is embedded with meaning. But if you know the scriptures, what Paul is saying here suddenly moves to three dimensions. It becomes huge. Uh, listen to some of these places uh, where breath is talked about in scripture. Genesis 25, then Abraham breathed his last and died at a good old age. Second uh, Samuel 22, the Lord thundered from heaven. The voice of the Most High resounded. He shot his arrows and scattered the enemy. The valleys of the seas were exposed, and the foundations of the earth laid bare at the rebuke of the Lord, at the blast of breath from his nostrils. It's a song about the Exodus. Job 19, my breath is offensive to my wife. Uh, I have coffee breath. I am loathsome to my own family. All my intimate friends detest me. Those I love have turned against me. I'm nothing but skin and bones. Song of Songs sevens, uh, 7, the fragrance of your breath is like apples. I skipped what led up to that. You're welcome, parents. Uh, Job 32 and 33, it is the spirit that is in the person, the breath of the Almighty that gives understanding. It's not only the old who are wise, it's not only the aged who understand what is right. Psalm 135, the idols of the nations, they have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see, ears but cannot hear, nor is their breath 
in their mouths. Isaiah 2, stop trusting in mere humans who have but a breath in their nostrils. Ezekiel 37, we read this at the beginning. This is what the sovereign Lord says to the bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you, and then you will know that I am the Lord. Lamentation 4. The Lord's anointed are very breath. And then what I think Paul is really getting at when he says that. Genesis 2. Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Time out. What if that's what Jesus was reminding them of when he bent down and he scribbled in the dust? That the breath of the divine was in them all. So Paul says, all scripture is God-breathed, and everyone who hears that can begin to have a sense of what it could mean. It's about life and death. It's fleeting. There's an intimacy to it. You can feel the warmth or the fury of it. God's breath does God's creative and redemptive work in the world. It imparts understanding and wisdom. God's breath is God's spirit. Uh, between Jesus' resurrection and his ascension, uh, in one of the times he was with his disciples, he breathed on them, and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. So Paul is, is painting this picture that Scripture is about the stuff God has done and is doing. And then he continues and he says that it's useful for stuff. He says it's useful for rebuking, for teaching, for equipping people for every single good work. Scripture is useful. Um, I, however, am not useful around my house um, on home projects. Um, I can't tell you how many home improvement projects I've screwed up. Um, Too many. They usually get expensive. Uh, And my problem, one of my problems, um, apart from I I don't know what I'm doing, is uh, I forget the craftsman axiom, right tool, right job. Have you ever heard that before? If you haven't, you should. It's really helpful. Um, (laughs) Right tool, right job. I can't tell you sawzalls uh, on ladders trying to cut down tree branches. These are just bad ideas, things you shouldn't do. Every single butter knife in our house uh, has a bent tip because I don't know where my screwdrivers are, and I need a screwdriver, and I've got a flathead in my kitchen drawer. Um, I think my kids actually do it more than me, and I don't know where they would have learned um, to use the wrong tool for the wrong job. And, And the question I have with when we start talking and thinking about Scripture and it being useful is, are we using the right tool for the wrong job? No matter where you fall, we're going to get controversial here this morning, just so you know. Um, Wherever you fall and how you think about creation, if you're a literal seven-day, the earth is 6,000-year-old, okay, and if you're a big bang, billions of years, you know, wherever you fall within that spectrum, fine, welcome, hello, glad you're here. Uh, 
But what we can't expect is Genesis 1 through 3, the creation narrative, to give us scientific detail information on what happened, how it happened. That's not what the story is doing. It's telling us who we are, why we're here. It's moving us to know what it means to be God's people. It's not for science. It's not what it's for. It, we ask questions, so like, should we be asking scripture how old is the earth? Should we be asking it which flannel graph diagram of the revelation in the last days is most scripturally correct? Right? Like, is left behind right? Should we be spending time and energy trying to discern all that? What does it matter? If Jesus takes us back and then all the bad stuff happens, we don't got to worry about it. And if Jesus says, no, you're going to go through bad stuff, which, by the way, seems to be God's pattern throughout all of history, then we're going to have to figure out how to love people. Why do we ask those questions of Scripture? Can God make a rock so heavy even he can't lift it? Is it wrong for a man to cover his head in church? How much better am I than Insert whoever you don't like. These are not the questions that Scripture is remotely interested in answering or forming us about. Paul says explicitly that Scripture is useful for equipping us for good works. He says other, uh, in another letter that it's the good works that God had prepared to us uh, prepared for us before the world even began. How do I love my neighbor? How do I love my enemy? What do I do two days after a verdict that I find unsettling? Maybe it wants to answer those questions for us. Paul also says that God's breath, Scripture, is to make us wise in the way of salvation. That's what it's for. It's to help us. It's to point us. It's to form us. It's to inspire us. It's to be the breath in our lungs. It's to be the breath that, that supports our speech. Have you thought, if we didn't breathe, you couldn't hear a voice. It's meant to propel our lives forward. And again, Paul brings us back to the creation narrative. First he says it's God breathed, which goes back to Genesis 2 where God forms uh, man and, and, and breathes life into him. And then he talks about it being useful for every good work. And what do we see in Genesis 1? We see God at work. And how does he name the things he works on? What does he call them? Good. God made it and saw that it was good. God made it and saw that it was good. God is doing good work in the creation narrative. And then he makes human beings, he makes us, he makes people in God's image to do and to follow after God's way. To do good works. Paul again is saying this is all about your life. It's all about your purpose. It's all about what God made you for. And the way of salvation God makes Adam and Eve, he puts them in the garden to work and to tend it. And a serpent, a crafty serpent, a wise, says, did he really say, don't eat from this tree or that tree? 
Adam and Eve don't know what to do with it. They listen. They're outsmarted. They pick the not way of salvation. They don't go God's way. They listen to a voice that is not the voice of the one who created them. Paul is saying, Scripture is God-breathed. It is life It is useful for you to do good works. The things that God made you to do, that's what it's there for. And it's to help you know the right way to go. One of my biggest pet peeves, huge pet peeve, I hate chapter and verses in the Bible. I loathe them entirely. There was a Kickstarter project for um, some Bibles that don't have them. I was like, sign me up. I bought one for myself and for a couple friends. I was like, this thing... Is awesome. And I don't like it for one really big, easy, quick reason. I think it points us to read scripture poorly. We don't like read Paul's letter in a sitting. We read like four verses at a time. Ah, wonderful what he's saying there. And it becomes disconnected from everything else that built and left up to it. The nuance begins to disappear. And the verses, the chapters, I don't know if it's just me, but they feel an awful lot like um, the Minnesota laws and statutes. Like when I look at like a book of statutes and laws, that's what it looks like to me. I'm like, oh, that's 416 that prohibits uh, having bonfires in White Bear Lake if you don't have a permit. (laughs) I don't know that it's 416. I've maybe never looked. It's easier to say I'm sorry than can I. Um... (laughs) We just, we've gotten to a spot where I think we don't even know it, but we've accidentally asked Scripture to do some things that maybe it's not supposed to be doing. It's the butter knife as a screwdriver. And the, this summer, this series is an opportunity for us to, to take a deep breath and um, to step maybe a little deeper in how we listen to Scripture, to what it might say uh, to us and for us. I've got a list here of things. I forgot there were no screens, so sorry. You can write these down, or maybe I can put them on the Internet somewhere, and you can Google them. Um, So I've got just a couple, a list of some advice for reading Scripture. Uh, Read slowly. Really, really slowly. And then read it again. Read it with friends. Read with imagination. Don't read Revelation and try to build a timeline. Bad idea. Okay, like that crazy stuff comes from that. Right, like read it with your, well, I don't know if you can read with your eyes closed, but you know, read it with your eyes closed. Try to imagine what John is seeing. Read it with context, within connection to the whole story and to the whole letter, the whole thing that's happening there. Understand the nuance of it. Read it uh, within the context and recognizing that you're most likely more Roman or Babylonian or Philistine than you are Hebrew. Just the fact that you're here means that you are a person of significant privilege and power. You have a tremendous amount of rights and resources at your disposal. Most of scripture, maybe all of it, is written from the position of oppressed minority. 
It doesn't fit and hit most of us. Uh, read it within context. The original language. I've been studying with Rabbi Allen. Holy buckets. Like, that dude can take the word tov, good, and I can spend four hours, and we're not even done with understanding just like the tiny little nuances between it all. Uh, read for faith, not for certainty. Think about that. And read it, read scripture prayerfully. I'm convinced um, that the worst way we can read, the worst thing we can do with scripture is to read it for ideas. We need to read it to speak to how we live our life, who we are, what we could be doing. Just like Paul says, rebuke us, teach us, correct us, to equip us for righteousness. Um, so, um, kind of going to switch gears here a little bit. Last uh, July, June and July were horrible months last summer. They were absolutely horrible. Um, I made my way down to the governor's mansion um, to protest. And to be really um, just fully honest and fully transparent with you, um, I, I have no idea what I'm doing when I'm down there. I don't want to be there. I'm embarrassed. I'm nervous I'm going to get yelled at, I'm, that I'm going to be told to go away. I'm nervous I'm going to say something wrong. Like, I have no idea. I just know that I couldn't stay at home anymore. I needed to stand up and I needed to, um, to take some steps. And I, I was, it was God's spirit, his breath that was moving me. And so I made my way down. I was at the, the mansion for a few minutes. And right as I was there, a group of people started marching and they left. And I was like, well, what do I do? I've never been here before. I'm, I was just 36 and I had never gotten involved in any capacity like that. And so I was like, all right, well, I'm just going to walk. I have no idea what I'm doing. So I start walking, and um, I see this sign. Some people carrying the sign, and I just start weeping because it was exactly where I was. I felt complicit in my silence. And I had this weird feeling that this, the, I was going to have the sign at the end of the night. Um, and so I walked. Um, I ended up being asked to help somebody carry the sign. And as I found myself moving from spectator um, to participant, uh, I heard myself saying, Words, black lives matter. Black lives matter. And something like switched. And I heard a question. What would it take for you, for your community, for the cry of your community to be, our lives matter? What would it take? And I started to understand what, um, I started to understand what was happening in me 
and, and around me. I don't pretend to know what you're supposed to do. I don't even, frankly, um, know fully what I think. Because there's a lot of information out there. But I know that when I hear people say their lives matter, I say amen. And so I want to, um, we're going we're gonna to do a little practice um, this morning together. And, and before we do this, let me be super clear. I don't know what you're supposed to do. I'm not supposed to know what you're supposed to do. It's God's breath, it's God's spirit, it's God's voice that speaks to you that will get you ready for the stuff he has to do, for you to do. All I know is you can't do nothing. You can't follow Jesus and not be involved in the things that are happening around us. It doesn't work. We have to care. We have to love our enemy. We have to love our neighbor. We have to learn how to love each other. So um, I'm going to read a scripture. And as I read this, I just want to invite you to listen. Listen to the breath of God. Hear it. Let it correct you if you need correction. Let it rebuke you. Let it move you. Most of all, hear. So I'm going to read this, and then we'll move into a, a time of silence. Um, right after I'm done reading, I'm going to walk off the stage, and we'll have about a minute or so to just to, to listen and to think about it. This is from Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of the vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Friends, if you're carrying anything this morning uh, and, and you would like someone to pray with you, you'd like some community and some voices and some hearts to gather with you, we, um, we have that available just right over here uh, to my right. So you can head over there uh, if you'd like prayer for that. May God's breath, may his spirit blow in us, breathe life, and teach us how to live how to follow Jesus. Go in his grace and in his peace. Amen.
find us online at www.awakeningcommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awakening Community or on Twitter at Awakening Community. See you next time.